the machines are very far away from doing like high level human tasks. And that's why I like to think about this interview scheduling use case where you've got people in your organization, the HR coordinators that are doing stuff that like they don't really want to do. It's like grunt. It's, it's not intellectually stimulating. It's very repetitive. And you probably need people to do higher level stuff like sell candidates and have conversations with hiring managers and blah, blah, blah. And so the, the machines are kind of doing the stuff that humans don't want to do and they can do it better. And, and that just frees us up to do the more interesting work. This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast where we talk to HR innovators about all things people leadership. If you're looking for places to find about new ways to think about the world of work, this is the podcast for you. Please subscribe from your favorite podcast listening platform today and leave us a review. Rebel on, HR Rebels. Hello, Rebel HR listeners. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We've got a great guest. With us, we have Phil Strazula. Phil is an entrepreneur and founder of Select Software Reviews, a website dedicated to helping HR and recruiting teams to find and buy the right software through in-depth expert advice. Phil started his career working in venture capital before getting his MBA from Harvard Business School. Welcome to the show, Phil. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, I I know your time is valuable and I really appreciate it. I think, you know, today's topic is one of those that is really going to resonate well with our our listeners, um, you know, purely because technology has become a part of our world and it's not going away. Um, and, and so I want to start off by really digging into what got you interested in the HR tech space. Sure. Yeah. And I, I couldn't agree with more with you. I actually just read this report in the wall street journal this morning that companies are going to scale back on humans in the sort of coming, probably recession that we're going into, but it spending is actually still going to grow, which is kind of insane, like to keep growing at like high single digit percentage from four and a half trillion dollars is what folks spent on or companies spend on IT in, in the US, uh, B2B IT. I got interested in HR technology. I, I always been interested in people's career paths. And while I was at business school, I taught myself how to program, really wanted to start a business, start hacking on a bunch of different projects, one of which turned into an employer branding SaaS that about three years ago, I hired somebody to run as a general manager. And my favorite part about that business was talking to really smart HR and talent acquisition folks and then sharing those learnings in this video series called Whiteboard Wednesdays, which I do on LinkedIn. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And and the topics that resonated the most with people around HR technology because there was so much going on with AI and chatbots in addition to just like ATS and sort of the basic stuff. I had a friend that started a a website called bestreviews.com, which was basically like, you know, what chainsaw should I buy? What golf club should I buy? Like anything B2C. And I was like, I wonder if I could do something like that in the HR tech space, especially because most HR professionals that I talked to were pretty overwhelmed with the amount of tooling out there. There's just so many different categories. There's so many different options within each category. It's tough to make a decision. And sometimes when you make a decision, you're locked in, you're paying tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, and your career could sort of be on the line a little bit, you know, you're standing in the organization. And so I thought, hey, this is an important thing for individuals, for companies, there's a need here. And it aligns with what I like to do, which is learn about stuff and then share that learning. 
Absolutely. I think, um, you know, it, it has been really interesting. I've been in the, the HR space for about 15 years as a practitioner. It's been really interesting to see how pervasive technology has become. But then it's also, for me, it's also been kind of interesting, like, we could be going so much faster as well if we got better at incorporating technology in the right way. Um, and so I actually think like the, I, I actually think that the, the, the HR professionals that are successful in the future and really are able to move their organizations forward effectively are going to be the ones that are the most open-minded to, to some of these things that are out there. Um, and, and, and probably some of the new things that we don't even, you know, we don't even really know about. Um, so I know that you know your 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 company's really focused on on making the right choice. Um as as an HR professional myself who actually started my career in in IT um but uh like you know many many years ago so it, anything that I learned in IT like 20 years ago is like it doesn't it, it doesn't matter anymore, right? It's it's like it's like There's Windows no 95, box. right? Wow. <laughs> so, you know, if 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 it's somebody like me and I've got this I've got this business problem and I'm trying to figure out is technology a solution, you know, how how do you really kind of start that decision making process? What's what is that what does a good process look like for an HR professional that's trying to figure out a tech solution? So I, I think there's a couple of different places to start. One is look at your business and understand the drivers of your business and what pain points the different leaders in the organization are having and and how does HR technology fit in in solve those issues. So you might go to the head of customer success and it's like, hey, we've got we've got a massive churn problem with our call center employees. Not a very uncommon problem actually with call centers. And so as a HR professional, you might say, okay, how can we change the onboarding process here? How can we change the hiring process and our employer branding to better give the expectations for this role. Technology can help with all of these things. Uh, so I, I think that a really, really good place to start is understanding the business, what's going on, and how can you make an impact, and, and how can you leverage technology to make an impact. The second way that I usually talk about how to framework where to focus is to look at your employee lifecycle. So literally map from first employer branding interaction through alumni, what are all the different steps that a candidate and then an employee takes as your future colleague? And try to figure out where are the breakdowns? Where do we know that there's pain that we can solve with technology? Uh, so part of this might be automation. Maybe you've got a huge crew of HR coordinators who are constantly scheduling interviews, and that's all they do. And you could actually use those people to do lots of different kind of more higher level strategic things if you just bought an interview scheduling solution that would take all of that work off their plate and actually do a much better job that a human can do because it's faster, it's real time, and it can do stuff like make sure that a female interviewer is going to meet with a female candidate. The last framework that I usually use is your gut. So you're taking in data all day long, you're talking to people in your organization, you're looking at quarterly reports, you know, maybe you're interacting with the board and you kind of know like where the pain is and, and where your systems are breaking down. So you might look at your ATS every day and just know that it's a piece of garbage and it's slowing down your recruiters. 
and you, you know everybody hates it. The hiring managers don't want to log into it. Maybe it's hard for people to even apply for jobs. Maybe it's not mobile optimized, et cetera. And, and you just know, you don't have to go through this whole, you know, mapping sort of exercise. You just know that that's something that's got to go. Um, so, so those are the three places that I typically start when trying to understand where to focus. It's great advice. You know, I've been through this and I would say I've learned the hard way. Um, when, you know, when I first started at one of my organizations, I implemented something too fast before I really took the time to understand the business. Um, and, and that hurt me a little bit. And I, I would have saved a lot of time and a lot of pain should I have just taken my time, really, you know, tried to dive in and understand the business before I made a big decision like that. Yeah, I think in general, like one of the things I talk a lot about and, and I'm very passionate about is just like, how do we show this like, stereotype of a cold-hearted CFO that cares about nothing but money that like everything we're doing has an impact you know like somebody who like doesn't care if people are happy or if, if it's like a pleasant application experience like how do we show that person like what we're doing translates into dollars and cents for the business yeah that's a really hard thing to to do and how I mean what advice would you have for us in h r that are going you know okay, we've narrowed down a couple options or we've narrowed down the option and then we have to sell it to our uh, CEO CFO what advice do you have for us so I have always made an ROI calculation in a spreadsheet, and I know that that's something that a lot of people are you know maybe like not used to doing and it might be a bit intimidating. We actually have like a whole page on our website that has like 10 or 15 ROI calculators with like videos on how to use them. We have a course on ROI calculations. Um, but there's also probably somebody in your organization who you're friendly with that like, maybe they have an MBA, maybe they're in a strategy or accounting role, and they could help you put this together. But essentially, you want to just say like, hey, we're buying the new ATS because our applicant uh, or our website visitor to application ratio is 20%, and it should be 35%. And so if we, you know, replace our ATS, we increase it by 15% which translates into 3,000 candidates a month and 40 hires and our cost per hire is 5K. So that's 200,000 bucks a month that we're going to save. And uh, the system's going to cost $50,000. So that, that's like a super no-brainer. You go to the CFO and you, you pitch them on that. And even if you're off by an order of magnitude, you still look pretty good. The really cool thing about doing an exercise like that is that six months after implementation, you go back to it and you say, where was I right? Where was I wrong? Maybe that conversion rate increases to 50%. Maybe it only increases by 25%, but a new ETS allows your recruiters to be much more efficient. You actually got ROI that way. Um, those are just ways of getting better at allocating resources and also building your credibility internally so that the next time you do it, you're going to say, hey, remember we spent 50 grand, we got 200K a month. Well, this time I want to spend 150 grand. Um, but I, I think we're going to get X as ROI and, and you get a lot more credibility. Absolutely. I think the other way to think about it too is, you know, if, especially if you're in a, you know, maybe a smaller organization or you're in a senior HR role, you know, if you're not advocating for it, who will, right? If it's a pain point or if it's a, or if it's a, a nightmare to onboard a new hire because you're, you know, you don't have, you know, interconnectivity between your ATS and your, and your HRIS or, you know, they can't do paperless onboarding, things like that. Um, you know, they, I mean, you have to advocate a little bit and, and you know, be, be thoughtful in, uh, in that. I think the other thing here, Phil, that, you know, 
you, you alluded to is the fact that you also need to be able to show that you've made a thoughtful decision when you've made this recommendation, right? So the fact that you've considered multiple options and avenues and, you know, here's, here's, you know, I, you know, I've done a cost benefit analysis on this system versus that system. And this one's a little bit more, but the value's greater or this system's, you know, a little bit cheaper. And, and I think we, you know, it, it doesn't have all the bells and whistles, but it can perform for us. You know, those types of questions, those are the questions that your, <laughs> your senior leaders are just going to expect you to understand. Right. And uh, yeah, you, you kind of have to own it. All right. Thousand percent. Yeah. And it, it's sort of like, if you were going to task somebody in your team to go do this, like, what would you expect? sort of looking at yourself from a third-party perspective. The other thing when you do that sort of level of diligence is you're going to ask the right questions and, and get to the right vendor. It's not all about just impressing your boss. It's actually about, at the end of the day, you make the right selection, you get the value, you evangelize the value internally, you say, hey, we got a new ATS, here's the results. People are like, oh, that's cool. And now you get more juice so you can go do your HRIS, you can do your onboarding, you can do the interview scheduling solution. Um, and you sort of rinse and repeat. That's something that I uh, call the virtuous cycle of HR tech, which is like, you know, you do something, you get results, you evangelize it, it allows you to do more stuff, and it just kind of goes and goes and goes. Um, and I think that's what, it, it's, it's not really an HR tech thing, right? It's just like, what are the most effective leaders in your organization do? Like, how did the CFO become the CFO? They were just really good advocates, and they were really focused on value too. Absolutely. So let's flip to the other side, because I think a big part of this is the employee engagement as well, or the applicant candidate engagement as well. So say we, you know, we've gone through the whole process, we found a system that works. What advice do you have for us when implementing on how to increase engagements with these systems? So HR tech is weird like this, right? Because like, it's not just like, if you you know, you buy a CRM and it's like, all right, we got to get our salesperson to use it. HR tech, it's like, well, we have to get every person to use this thing and people that don't even work here. Um, so it's really challenging. The, so I think there's two big buckets. One is you buy the right solution that's super easy. Um, so if you look at like rewards and recognition, I think this is a great uh, sort of microcosm for this point. The old school rewards and recognition programs were basically like, giving you something on your birthday or work anniversary. Nobody ever logged into them. Nobody cared about them. The new school ones, the peer-to-peer recognition platforms that integrate with Slack and Teams and Gmail and Outlook and all this stuff, on average, 98% of employees log in on a monthly basis. And why do they do that? Because it's super simple. It's intuitive. It mirrors a, a B2C experience. And there's an incentive to do that. If somebody recognizes Molly for doing a great job on a call, uh, Molly logs in and is like, hey, wow, I feel really good. I'm going to recognize Kyle because he was also in that meeting and he, he made a great thing. And then Kyle logs in and, and all of a sudden it's this, like viral uh, effect. So, th- so that's a big part of it. Th- the second is many times I've suggested people, especially when you're doing a bigger implementation, get a cross-functional team together. So if you're focused on employee onboarding, we'll just kind of stick with that. Um, just put it out there. Hey, we're going to do a project on employee onboarding over the next nine to 12 months, probably going to implement a new system. Anybody want to kind of pitch in, be on like basically an advisory board, people will raise their hand cross-functionally. And the people who do are, are sort of the gunners in the organization. They're like taking on extra work. Um, so they have great ideas, diversity of thought leads to a better outcome. They also have juice internally. So that helps with getting the budget. And to your 
question, Molly, and sorry for the long answer, it, it actually helps with implementation as well, because when you implement a new HRIS, ATS, whatever it is, employee onboarding, all of a sudden on that committee that's been with you throughout this whole process, you've got somebody from marketing, somebody from products, somebody from operations, and they can evangelize it and say, hey, I was along for the ride with this thing. Um, here's why we're doing it. You should actually do it, which just sort of bolsters HR's message and comes from maybe a more familiar face. Yeah, it's a perfect answer. I think buy-in um, with other key leaders is so important. Without a doubt. You know, I think it's, I, I think this is just a really interesting topic. And, and I think, um, you know, one of the things that's probably most interesting to me about this is there's a lot of HR software out there that we don't even know, you know, could, could help solve our problems. And I, and I go back to what you said earlier, you know, it's like, you know, you kind of know your pain points. And, and some of that's like using your, just using your gut, right? And uh, I, you know, I had this conversation with, with one of my team members, uh, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago and. Uh, we were talking about a, a, a challenge and, um, you know, she was indicating, well, the data doesn't indicate that there's a problem. And my comment was, yeah, but we suck at it. Right. So it's like, <laughs> and there's a lot of those, the, there's a lot of those things in the world of HR because our, our world is very dynamic. There's a lot of different things going on and, and um, potentially there could be a solution there. Um, and my perspective is like, for me, technology is definitely an enabler. Um, so you should find the things that technology can can help you with so that you can really focus your time and energy on the stuff that technology can't help you with, right? And um, so I, I don't think it's a solution for everything, but it can be a solution for a lot of different things. Um, so I know that uh, that you you have a kind of a great repository of some of these different types of HR, HR systems, but I'm just curious to kind of get your perspective as you look at kind of the world of HR tech what are some of the cool new things that you are seeing out there that we should we should be paying attention to right now? Yeah, and and thanks, Kyle, for sharing that perspective because it honestly makes me like think like, oh, in our newsletter, like we should have more like you know, here's how this person like I don't know did X Y Z with with technology because I think a lot of people there so there are over a hundred different categories of HR tech that we have on our website and you know, it, it's 5% of your job, right? Like you're not going to be spending tons of time like doing demos and like staying on top of what's latest and greatest. And frankly, that's why we have a business. Um, but we, we we probably, you know, in a different way should be sort of evangelizing those success stories. In terms of the, the latest and greatest stuff, uh, I think that there are a lot of AI applications now that are like actually real. I remember going to HR Tech back in like in 2016, maybe it was the year that every vendor was like, we're an artificial intelligence, blah, blah, blah. And it, it was kind of a BS marketing line uh, that didn't, you know, really actually do anything in, in, in the reality or there was a bunch of humans behind it. But now all of a sudden, um, you can actually leverage like neural networks and uh, machine learning to do some cool stuff. So here's an example. Uh, there's this website out there called Hirefly. And basically as a recruiter, I upload the rec that I'm trying to recruit for. And Hirefly is like, okay, cool. We understand who you're looking for, geographies, experience, et cetera. We're going to go search the internet, um, which includes, you know, LinkedIn, GitHub, Twitter, you name it. And we're going to reach out to 20 or 30 people. And we're going to put the people who respond positively on your calendar. And you're going to give us feedback on whether or not this was a good candidate and why, and then we're going to do a better job the next time. 
And when I say us, it, it's a machine. Uh, there's, <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no human that's doing this. It's basically doing the exact same thing as a third-party recruiter, except because it's software, it costs one-fifth or, or one-tenth of the amount of money, and it is actually much faster. That's pretty cool. Uh, you know, you don't have to go out and like contract a third-party recruiting firm. And let's say, you know, you, you want to use this for two months and then you want to shut it down. Like that, that's cool too. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not like somebody that hired on your team and you have this fixed cost. So things that leverage is sort of like smart software AI is, is really exciting. I, I think there's also a class of companies that are almost exclusively selling into these like unicorn companies. So like fast growing technology businesses that have really amazing people operations teams that are fast to adapt technology. And Kyle, something you said earlier actually was interesting. I forget exactly what you said, but essentially, you know, HR teams that adopt this technology sort of allow it to exist. Um, if, if you think about the ecosystem, generally speaking, we've seen this explosion of HR tech. And why is that? Because more companies are adopting the technology. And because companies are adopting them, the startups are doing well, and therefore VCs are investing more money, which breeds more innovation, which breeds more adoption. And it goes on and on and on, one of these, you know, virtualist cycles that I referenced earlier. And I think that there's a class of tech right now that probably only really like the unicorns and maybe like the Goldman McKinsey's are adopting. Um, and my hope is that they, they cross the chasm and, and they, they get across um, to lots of others. But it's like very deep, really smart point solutions on things like interview scheduling, hiring, assessments, applicant tracking systems. Um, just really best-in-class technologies across all of those different uh, sub-segments. I think it's you know I, I think it's really really interesting, um, and and I I think those you know those organizations that will be open-minded enough to to try out something like you know like yeah like like a machine learning AI that goes out and just grabs candidates off the internet for you you know like that sounds. That sounds a lot like what I pay somebody a lot of money to go do on a third party basis when I can't find the exact profile candidate I want, right? So, and the way I'm thinking about it is like, well, what am I out? You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think there's, well, you know, here's, here's there's, the thing about, I, I think about. a lot of people are like, you know, when's this going to like take my job or something like <laughs> that? And the reality is like, never. <laughs> like, like it's, it's just not like, especially the work you guys do, like it's going to be 50 plus years before a machine can do this stuff. Uh, it's not, you know, and we're going to, if that ever happens, we live in a completely different world where like, we don't have to worry about jobs. The, the machines are very far away from doing like high level human tasks. And that's why I like to think about this interview scheduling uh, use case where You've got people in your organization, the HR coordinators that are doing stuff that like they don't really want to do. It's like grunt. It's it's not intellectually stimulating. Mm -hmm. It's very repetitive. And you probably need people to do higher level stuff like sell candidates and have, uh, you know, conversations with hiring managers and blah, blah, blah. And so the, the machines are kind of doing the stuff that humans don't want to do um, and they can do it better. And, and that just frees us up to do the more interesting work. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you owe me a beer, Kyle. Yeah, yeah, Tag, you're it. No, we've I've, actually I'm, talked yeah. about this before, and um, you know, we completely agree with you. It's really going to be a great opportunity for HR to elevate their skills and to really 
help the business, right? Make make more of that impact instead of just paper push. Um, so I think it's going to be really good for HR and it is, it's, it's adding a lot of value already. I think about it in this way, you know, um, and, and you, you listen to any HR podcast, you go to a bunch of speakers, you know, inevitably um, the, the whole topic of how does HR elevate themselves and how do you, you know, how do we, how do we get a seat at the table? And, you know, you, you hear these kinds of conversations. And I actually, my argument is, you know, technology is one of those enablers that allows that to happen. Because instead of you or somebody on your team being stuck in a back office somewhere, running these like menial, you know, repetitive tasks that really could be automated through some sort of a, some sort of investment, but probably a smaller investment than a full-time person. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, if you take the, that time automate it, you know, come up with that plan, come up with a strategy to make sure you don't miss anything. Then you free up your time to go do more value added work. And if you do that the right way and you organize it, your organization sees you do that, like you've said a couple of times, Phil, then you start the, the, the wheel rolling, right? And if you can demonstrate you can do it, then the organization is going to take notice of that. And, you know, it, you are adding value at that point. And that's, you know, that's how you elevate HR. That's how you get at the seat at the table. And at the end of the day, that's how you free up your time so you can focus on the stuff you actually want to focus on. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly, I'm extremely biased about this, but I think that technology is, is maybe the number one way that HR is going to elevate itself. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. I wanted to take a quick break to tell you about the Employee Onboarding Podcast by Process Street. If you care about crafting a magical experience for new employees and you love podcasts, you won't want to miss this. Join the Process Street team as they have conversations with people leaders and technology creators exploring the world's most magical onboarding experiences. You will learn cutting-edge best practices, industry secrets, and technology to wow every new employee that walks through your door. I recommend the episode where Process Street's CEO, Vinay Patankar, sat down with Zapier CEO, Wade Foster, to talk about how they've scaled employee onboarding in a $5 billion remote-first organization. And the conversation with Ben Eubanks discussing how to leverage AI and automation to improve the new employee experience will blow your mind. You can find the Employee Onboarding Podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Go ahead and check it out. And don't forget, if you're interested in supercharging your employee onboarding or other HR processes, go ahead and give Process Street a try. You can sign up for a free account at www.process.st or check out their YouTube channel for a bunch of webinars and demos. So, you know, I think... I think it's really, um, you know, it's an important conversation. It's an interesting topic. Um, there's a lot of really kind of, kind of cool things out there with tech. I want to talk a little bit about technology and maybe the, maybe the dark side of, of tech a little bit, you know, and I think we've seen this over the last number of, of, of years, especially as now we've got virtual meetings, you can take them from anywhere you, you know, you can work from people in different geographic regions, meaning pants are optional. Yeah. Pants are optional. I am wearing, I'm in the office today, so I'm wearing <laughs> pants just for all the listeners out there. Um, but, but I, I think what we've seen is a wonderful adoption of technology, but we've also started to see, you know, a little bit of a, of a blurring between the lines of of work and home. And, you know, I, I think, you know, work-life balance at this point 
it, it really, it's more like work-life integration than, than balance because, you know, I don't, I don't know that anybody feels like there's a great balance uh, right now when your, you know, phone has all of your emails in it when you're sitting there at dinner or, or watching TV at, you know, whatever time. So, so as you look at that, I know, Phil, you've, you've, you've got some, some strong beliefs here. What, what do you recommend uh, for, for those that are, are incorporating technology? How do we kind of focus on making sure that this work-life integration is, is appropriate for, you know, for all of our uh, sakes, for all of our mental health? It's a really important topic. So there's a wonderful book written by Bob Glazier, who runs a company called Acceleration Partners, which is a remote first company and always has been for, I think, over a decade at this point. And he, he talks about their SOPs for how do we kind of let people live their lives. And it's a lot of non-tech stuff, right? It's, it's rituals for how do you wind down at the end of the day. It's carving out specific spaces and times for work versus non-work. It's norms. So what is the expectation for responding to email, responding to Slack, responding to an SMS, et cetera? And I think it really comes down to culture and managers and setting the right expectations because especially in the U.S., like we just sort of have this like very strong work culture, which is great for, you know, productivity and GDP growth, but maybe isn't great for mental health. Mm-hmm. So it, it comes it comes down to leadership. There's obviously these sort of next generation EAPs like Modern, Lyra, um, Ginger, Talkspace, et cetera, that allow companies to have a very robust mental health program for their employees. Um, but I think that's kind of what it comes down to. Uh, and then the, the the other sort of funny note that I'll say is there's uh, this Chrome extension I ran into yesterday that is uh, an unproductivity uh, app. And so, you know, these productivity apps, they like block out, they basically just like allow you to work, right? And this is an unproductivity app. So it blocks your email, it blocks Slack, it block, it doesn't let you go to LinkedIn. It doesn't let you go to like chase.com or like Yahoo Finance or any, it, and it just like, it's supposed to allow you. And it was made as a joke originally um, by these guys like six months ago and it's kind of caught on. And it's just allow you to like spend time with your family or read a book or, you know, do whatever you want. And we intuitively, I, I think it makes sense that that's really important and morally as well. But there's also a bunch of research now. There's a really phenomenal book um, by this guy, Cal Newport, called Deep Work. And it, a lot of it is about how you need to uh, unplug in order to be productive. And if anybody's sort of gotten in one of these, you know, flow states of deep work, um, you know, you're, you're 5x more productive. That's what McKinsey found. And that's what I found personally. Uh, and in order to do that, you can't be always on. You're just, you're parked out. Yeah, I was actually talking to a, another employer the other day, and they were telling me about how they, they're actually requiring all of their employees to take one week off during the year, or, and then they shut down their access to everything. So they truly have one week just to step away. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, that's a fantastic idea. And then, you know, you said something early on, like leaders have to really lead by example. This has been something that's been super eye-opening to me within the last year. Like, you know, I preach work-life balance 
all day long. But at the end of the day, I'm still emailing my team at seven o'clock at night or, um, you know, we're, we're offering partially work from home, but I'm here every day. So I'm not setting that great example for my team that, um, you know, hey, this is really what we believe and this is how I'm acting. So I want you to be free to act that way as well. Yeah. So I think this is a great example of like, this is the stuff that HR should be focused on, right? (laughs) And so if you're, if you're like still worried about like, which, you know, um, you know, like processing, you know, month end, um, you know, insurance enrollments, you know, you, you're not focused on this and you're not out there helping your leaders kind of think about it. You know, here, here's a great example. I just, you know, we, we've, I think we have like three different ways, probably four different ways that a manager can connect with one of their employees any time of the day and send a notification to their phone or their computer or whatever. Like, and so if you don't have a really good structure and culture around your leaders, like having appropriate boundaries with their teams, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you're going to have issues, right? I mean, that's just, that's the way it is. And so, you know, and, and I think different workplace cultures are, are different and there's different levels of expectations, you know, but ultimately um, what you, you set your expectations are for your leaders at is the culture you're going to get. And people will make that decision. You know, <laughs> there's, as much as we're worried about a recession, there's still a labor shortage. There's a lot of options if somebody is frustrated with your current, uh, with your current uh, situation or your current culture. And, and quite frankly, I think, um, you know, it, it's also going to be a business imperative to make sure you're drawing, you know, drawing good boundaries there. Um, so I think, you know, great, really important topic, something that, that we should be focused on. And, uh, you know, the only question, Phil, is, is there, is there like a, an HR tech that can help me be better at balancing the, <laughs> HR tech thing <laughs> is that too uh, meta? <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, you know, to a large extent, like our our site is trying to help people sort of keep this all straight and and not let it ruin your life and and make the right decisions so that you get the value and all that jazz. But like, um, it's tough. And I think that my my advice to most leaders is. Like, unless you're going to retire in the next five years, like, you just got to start carving out a couple hours a month at least to just like getting better at HR tech. And that could be, you know, going to a conference. It could be taking a demo with a technology that you think is new and innovative. It could be sitting down with a friend who works at another company and talking, hey, what's the last thing you guys implemented? What went right? What went wrong? And it could be talking to another business leader and, you know, have a coffee with the head of marketing and and be like, let me let me ask you about your tech stack and like who manages it? How do you think about budget? How do you think about ROI? And like if you do that for a couple hours a month, in a year or two, you're gonna be way ahead of the game. Uh you're gonna be in a really good position personally and, and you're gonna put your company in a good position as well. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, one of the things that we did at my company was I actually hired a full-time HR system specialist. And her full-time job is to do nothing other than find solutions and ways to automate processes so that we're more effective and efficient. That's her full-time job. Mm-hmm. And we've already unlocked value and time and like reduced frustration um, in, in the short time that she's been with the company. And, you know, in the back of my mind, it's also like, wow, what a great way for um, a new professional to enter the organization 
and understand the ins and outs of all of these different processes and how they work to poise her for growth down the road, right? So it's like, it's, it's just, it's been a really value add uh, position. Unfortunately, my company, you know, lets me hire those types of roles and like, you know, supports me in that type of endeavor. But I would encourage, you know, if you've got, uh, you know, if you're thinking about adding or focusing on this, you know, think about actually investing uh, time, energy, resources into this uh, to, to get something out of it. I mean, I, I, I'm a strong believer it's worth it. Totally agree. Yeah, if you've got the resources and you're, you've got an extra sort of FTE and you're thinking about, should we get a people analytics person? Should we get an HR business partner? Like somebody that's like more strategic, I would a thousand percent recommend somebody that focuses on basically people operations or recruiting ops, whatever you want to call them. Just focus on what are the tech, what are the processes and, and how do we make it better? Absolutely. Well, this has just been a wonderful conversation. We are just about at time. Um, and so we're going to shift gears. We're going to go into the the Rebel HR flash round. So question number one, where does HR need to rebel? I think HR needs to rebel against an attitude of, I don't get a seat at the table and focus more on how do I earn a seat at the table? Uh, I unfortunately... And this isn't everybody, right? But there are a, a decent swath of folks out there who are like, I'm not given the you know time of day and I'm not given this and I'm not given this. You, you got to earn it. And one of the big ways that you earn out, in my opinion, is you think in terms of the business value and you make these ROI models and you pitch them and you do a good job of internal stakeholder management and you do a good job on the project. You evangelize that you did a good job and all of a sudden you've got your seat at the table. Couldn't agree more. I, you know, I, I think it's, it's really easy to get caught in that kind of victim mentality of, you know, my, my organization doesn't value me or doesn't respect me. And in some cases, unfortunately that may be true, but more often than not, you can earn it. You know, it's just, it's just about turning out, you know, turning out what that company values. And then, you know, you don't have to ask for it. They'll ask for you, right? <laughs> yeah. And I think no matter where you're at in your career, like that's something that we always need to remind ourselves. I think sometimes it's pretty easy to slip back into that. So um, for me anyway, you know, I, I, I just have to remind myself of that often. You're pretty good at that, Molly. Try to stay humble. <laughs> All right. Question number two, who should we be listening to? It's a great question. Um, there's a guy named Ryan Dahl who runs a consulting firm called Sagemark. And I've found him to be a very thoughtful HR professional focused actually mostly on talent acquisition at larger companies. And every time I talk to him, I learn something new. And so um, he's putting content out there. I, I suggest people uh, take a listen. Very cool. I'll have to check that out. All right. Last question. How can our listeners connect with you and learn more? Sure. So if you're looking at HR tech, go to selectsoftwareviews.com. If you want to connect with me, you can look me up on LinkedIn, Phil Strazula with two Zs and two Ls. I'm the only one out there. And I uh, would love to, you know, field any questions and put you in the right direction. Absolutely. I uh, We will have all that information in the show notes. So open up your podcast player. Uh, check it out. You know, just a little bit of a plug here. I mean, if you go out to the website, you can go, you can see what's out there. 
you know, there's popular categories out there. There's some descriptions on what these things are. You know, even if you're just kind of new to this world and you just want to learn and and start to figure out where to, you know, where to start, um, you know, a great website out there. I just sent it to my, my system specialist. So, you know, I'm sure she'll have all sorts of ideas by the end of this week. (laughs) Yeah. Give us the feedback if you have any. Sounds good. Um, well, Molly, Phil, thank you so much for joining us today. It's just been a, an absolutely wonderful conversation. Appreciate you helping us make better decisions and challenging us uh, to think a little bit differently about HR tech. Thanks. Thank you, guys. All right. That does it for the Rebel HR podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Baby.